0: I want to invite you to turn with me once more to the book of Titus. Titus, and we're going to be uh, moving into chapter 2. Some of you probably silently thought it's about time. This is, the eighth, I think, the eighth week that we've been in the little book of Titus. <clears throat> and just as that much time has passed, um, we give a, a slight... Background and context to where we're at the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a young man named Titus Titus became a, a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Paul and Paul and Titus had been on various missionary journeys so Paul knew and had seen the godly character in Titus the genuine Christian faith at work in him. Some of the things that Paul talks about in this letter. And Paul had been made aware that there was a number of churches on the island of Crete that were growing and that were in need of, as he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, some straightening out, some finishing up what was started. And the way that he instructed Titus to to help in this task was by sending him back to go to Crete and straighten out what was left unfinished by appointing elders in each of these different churches in the different towns of the island of Crete. Now, some of you might know about Crete, but there's a few helpful things as we continue to read through the second chapter that... I wanted to remind us about and one that maybe you didn't know but Greek culture the Greeks they were very mythological people they were superstitious and this is what naturally springs out of human hearts which were made to know and worship God that have become sinful and do not know the truth about God we start to invent ideas And so Greek mythology, which has become uh, made into movies like Thor and some of these other movies that you see around, um, is a very popular thing and it has been for a long time. Now, one of the theories or one of the stories in Greek mythology is that the island of Crete was the home, the birthplace of Zeus. Maybe you've heard of Zeus and he was one of the major so-called gods of Greek mythology. And he was a, a a warring god, a champion in war very often. And so Crete actually became the home of many retired warriors, Greek warriors. And maybe if you've read history books or watch history movies, just the nature of war when you're in it for a long time creates a certain demeanor and a certain attitude and a certain sort of uh, temperament in those men. And many many of these men were now retired, had gone back to Crete, may or may not have been being the kind of men that they should have in their family life. And the very island of Crete was known for what we see in chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says to Titus in chapter 1, verse 12, even one of their own prophets says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Paul says this testimony is true. He says, I didn't say it. A person from Crete says this is what we're like. And so this is why this repeated theme of sound doctrine, which means healthy truth, continues to come up over and over again through this letter that Paul writes to Titus. Because he wants to make sure that the people who Titus is speaking to, the Christian church on Crete, is not influenced by the surrounding culture of lies, but is being shaped by the God of truth through his word, which is truth. And I hope that sounds familiar today. Because we live in a world like Crete in every age to some degree. We have worldviews that are influencing us from every direction that are shaped by lies because you see it all stems from the father of lies, the devil. And so there's only really two options in life. Will you shape your view by the word of truth or by the world that's filled with lies? And this is the heart of what Paul is trying to get uh, Titus to emulate and also to proclaim to these churches and to make sure that the the leaders, as we we saw in chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, that the the elders would be men who are shaped by this truth. Verse 9 of chapter 1, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So this week, as we we come to chapter 2, I just want to remind us of of this. And one of the major themes that runs through Titus, which I said in, I think, the first sermon, is grace-based godliness. And I want us to see what that looks like in the different areas of life that we will see in chapter 2. So I'll read chapter 2 for us now. And the goal of of what I want us to see in chapter 2 is really defined in the gospel presentation in verses eleven through fourteen as we prepare our hearts to take in the Lord's Supper. So Titus chapter two, verses one through fifteen, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self controlled, and sound in faith, in love And in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word Of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good these then are the things you should teach encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Father, I ask once again that you would continue to open our eyes, our spiritual eyes. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your Holy Word. We would see the light and life that comes from you most abundantly seen and eternally received through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I ask this again in His name. Amen. Look back with me again at at verse one. You must teach what is in accord. With sound doctrine. Paul is continually showing Titus that his purpose in whatever he teaches is to fit with all that is true within God's Word. And in particular, to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Connects with verse 11. Look at verse 11 again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's starting to teach the beginning of the gospel, to teach about the incarnation. And there are many truths that we see throughout Scripture. But all the truths, as they fit together and accord together, are proclaiming this one message, a message of forgiveness and hope found in Jesus Christ alone. And for those of us who have trusted in him, we continue to use the gospel as our touch point or as our as our central theme to start aligning ourselves with all that pleases God. And Paul has Divided what it looks like to, to live in accordance with this gospel into a few different categories: older men and older women, younger or older, uh, younger men and younger women, and then slaves, or some translations say servants. So let's, let's look at verse two: "Teach older men to be temperate. This word has to do or or relates to the temperament of a person, the disposition that you have, whether you have a temper. You see that? That's the first part of the word. This has to do with being a person that has self-control in your attitude and the way you respond to challenging situations that life brings your way or disrespect or disadvantages that you may experience from people. You see that when he talks about slaves. We'll get to that in a moment. Worthy of respect, or some translations say dignified. There's a certain dignity that comes with age, or that should come with age. But Paul is not just suggesting that as we get older, that means we're automatically worthy of respect just because of our age. There's a sense in which that is true, that we should respect those who are older than us. And part of the rebelliousness that we see in all of us shows itself when we don't respect those who are older. But this goes beyond that. Dignity. This is dignity in accordance with sound doctrine. This is saying older men should be those who are striving to get their respect and their dignity from the things that God has shown are true of himself. This is... This is a godly respect, a godly dignity that has been developed over a number of years that comes from looking to God in faith for two or three or four decades. It's talking about a maturity in a spiritual sense. And this is an interesting task because Titus does not fit into this category. So how can a young man teach older men how to be dignified well thankfully while it's true that younger men should live in a dignified way and should strive for dignity themselves, thankfully the the strength of these things does not rest on Titus himself this is a, a reminder that truth is objective that God's truth and what he calls us to believe and do is not based on who you are or your life experiences. Paul is not saying to Titus that he can't teach older men how to be temperate and worthy of respect. He's saying that that's exactly what he's calling Titus to do. So that we will see this godliness exemplified through them. And the next character trait that we see here in verse 2 is self control the other aspect of as you, as you grow is physical strength. What comes with your growth is that you become physically stronger and also mentally stronger. There's other aspects of self-control that we could consider. But this is, this is what we see I- exemplified in Christ. A self-control. That he was the strongest man to ever live. But what was he clothed in? Humility. He, he used the strengths that he had not to react or to be reactionary, but to serve. And Paul continues to be sound in faith and in love and in endurance. And I think these three are sort of like a triad. He's saying be sound or be wholesome or, or be whole in your grasp of the Christian Faith in your grasp of Christian truth, of biblical truth, and in your love, your love for God and your love for man, and in endurance. In other words, endure in these godly character traits. Sometimes, maybe you've seen this, but sometimes it's easier when we have reached a a certain age in life To feel like we have sort of reached the point. We have been godly for X amount of years, and we might be tempted to think that there's not as much growth to be had as when we were younger. But Paul is encouraging Titus to encourage older men and say, endurance is the key here. Continue to persevere in the faith. Until your last breath. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24:13, where he says, The one who endures to the end will be saved. And so Paul begins by addressing older men. And more could be said about each of these characteristics. But I want you to pay attention to the distinctions here now. Verse 2, he addresses older men. And then he addresses older women in verse 3. And the first word here in verse 3 that you see likewise it actually connects women and and older women in this case to the same type of virtues women should should likewise be worthy of respect but they should they should not take on teaching men as Paul tells Titus in in 1 Timothy and we're going to see here in this section that Women have a teaching role in the church. And I think that the, the fact that Paul begins with older women in verse 3. And instructs him to teach older women about how they will teach younger women. Is a, a safe net or a protective guard if you will. So that it's not Titus or the elders who he will help to ordain. That will be the ones going to younger women to give them counsel for life, but it is the older women. All of these things being described here fit into the category of discipleship. We're called to be disciples of Christ. Older men to younger men. Older women to younger women. But in specific ways. And we are addressed distinctly for a reason. Look at verse 3 again. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Not to be slanderers. Or addicted to much wine. That word there. Slanderers. Uh, perhaps you're reading a different translation. It says. Uh, malicious gossipers. It actually comes from the, the Greek word. Diabolos. Does that sound familiar? The Greek word means Devil. It's a very strong kind of language. Remember what he said in chapter 1 that people are known there for being liars and these kind of things. Paul is saying the nature of what sometimes happens in gossip is so malicious that it almost accords with the devil himself who is the father of lies. And of course this applies to men too. We should not gossip either. But he's addressing the women here and not just Paul but Titus but but God through Paul to Titus is addressing the ladies here to to help them make sure sure and guard themselves that, that ladies that you don't do this because gossip can tear down and it's so deceptive that we can even be committing the sin of malicious gossip right in the middle of a prayer meeting there's a difference between saying For example, we need to pray for this gentleman or this lady on my right or left. And saying it while thinking in our hearts like that parable Jesus told of two men who went into the temple to pray. Thank God I'm not like the person on my right or left. And if we're all honest, we've had moments where we've probably thought like that before. So Paul is saying to Titus, In the very heart of the life of these Christians, in their homes, in their relations, husband to wife, and then in things as as pure or as um, intimate as prayers and how we have private conversations, Christ is to be brought into everything. Godliness is to impact everything we do. We don't just put godliness in our Sunday church services or our Wednesday night Bible studies. We seek his help to apply it to every area of our life, even the way we talk. And not addicted to much wine, which again, this fits into the same pattern, of the same wording of self-control. <coughs> Excuse me. What is the purpose of Paul's instruction to Titus, God's instruction through Paul to Titus, for these older women to pursue these things? Well, verse four gives us the answer. Then, or so then, they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children. Does that sound like a complicated thing to do? No. In fact, it's not complicated. Is it an easy thing to do all the time to love your husbands and children? I'm sure the answer is no. All the men were waiting in hopes that their wives didn't speak out loud just now, right? Now, men, as I continue to read this, I want to say a word to you. I, I had COVID during Mother's Day and I was sick during Father's Day. But since I was, let me just say this before I continue. The things that God calls men and women to do, the characteristics that he has called us to emulate, these are not plan B things for us to do. What happens in salvation is that there's a type of recapturing Christ himself recaptures us to bring us back to Eden in a way that only he can that, that gives us life abundant and that shows itself through a renewed life a renewed mind that leads into different ways of living that many people in the world who don't trust in Christ and who don't care for God to put it lightly will do and we are, being, we are being forced to hear the words of the world telling us what it should mean to be a man, to be a woman, to be a husband, to be a wife, to even be a human being. And worthy of the respect and the sanctity of being alive in the womb and sometimes, unfortunately, even right up to being born. People don't respect that as life. And again, as I said at the beginning, we only have two options. Are we going to seek to understand our identity as who we are and who we need to be and what we need to do from God's word? Or are we going to be heavily influenced by the world? This is why Paul in Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be or continue being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know, be able to discern what is God's perfect will for your lives that's, that's the essence of what Paul is trying to help counter the, the, the Crete culture here, he's trying to give them a counter culture that's called the church, that's what we really are, we're not we're in this world but we're not of it We're not against the world in a hostile way but we are called to live in a sense as a counter culture for the good of the culture. And mothers and fathers should be cherished and should be encouraged with the kinds of instructions that we're reading today. And we need to learn how to function together according to God's will. So Paul Tells the older women to pursue godliness in these ways so that they can train younger women to love their husbands and children. And as I prayed and thank God for um, one of the first ways that you love your children, maybe maybe there's someone here today or listening on social media or on the radio later later that's listening. I want, you to, I want you to listen carefully. The first way that you can love your child is by keeping it. It's by wanting to do everything in your power to embrace that there is an image bearer of God in your womb. And one of the ways that we help women do this as a church if they find themselves in a troubled situation where, where they're being temptate, tempted to, to, to neglect this responsibility, is by making sure that we can help nurture the life of that child. Women are to love their husbands and children, and we see that Paul's focus here is on the, the family, that first institution that God put in place through marriage. One of the reasons why... Abortion had so much success since the 70s is because we have completely disregarded the value of being sanctified in how we live before marriage and we play marriage so often and we have to try as a church to encourage the younger generations to recapture the goodness of being a godly single person and of dating in a godly way if they're going to date and of keeping the marriage bed pure so that the joys that God gives us the great joys that God gives us in marriage will be fully enjoyed without extra baggage but it's always been a challenge since the fall for us to love each other well so he's saying to these older ladies that their duty, first and foremost, is to pursue godliness and to help younger ladies do the same. To love their women, to love their husbands and children. Verse five: to be self-controlled and pure, and to be busy at home. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands, or some translations say sub- submissive to their own husbands. That's an important point. God doesn't call women to be submissive to another husband but to be submissive to their own husbands and we would do well to to keep that in mind. Indeed the church is, is called the bride of Christ which means what? That we are to be submissive to Him. He is our only husband in that sense, spiritually speaking. He is our only leader in that sense. I just want to consider one point here. Busy at home. Some translations will will say to be a homemaker. Other translations will say to be working at home. Now, we could talk about this for a long time. But let me just make this as simple as as, as, as I possibly can. What this is not saying is that the only thing you can do is one or two or however many tasks it take to keep the house clean and to keep the children fed and the husband fed and do that, go to sleep and get up and do it again tomorrow. Those are important things and mothers should take pride in doing those things but what this is saying, in fact, if you go to Proverbs 31 and you look at what a godly woman is, you see a very industrious woman you see a lady who is actually using her godliness and her God-given wisdom to be industrious, to, to sell things at the market, to do various different tasks. But what this is getting at when it says to be busy at home, it, it is Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminding Titus to remind the ladies that through creation... They have a God-given design to prioritize the family, to prioritize the home. Women can have a job. Women can do things beyond their job. But the greatest challenge, perhaps, for many women in this age is to try and to use their talents and their gifts, but to do all that they're doing in such a way that they're still keeping A priority on the family. Men have done a disservice to helping in this in a number of ways in the past. One of the first ways that we as men have done a disservice to this God-ordained priority is by misapplying this kind of teaching. Let me give you an example. It's Friday. I've been working all week. Here's the paycheck, honey. Get to work. And sit down and don't do anything. As if God didn't give men the ability to wash a dish. Or to cook a meal. I knew, I knew some of you ladies were going to say amen. <laughs> Listen, to, to, to help our wives see that their God-given Created responsibility begins as a primary priority in the home. We have to do everything we can to honor her, to cherish her, and to come alongside as much as possible to help in whatever life brings us. And there's nothing undignified about that. But if we take from the world our guidelines, We would completely flip the whole script. In fact, I would would submit to you for further study at another time to go back and read Genesis 3. What Satan did in the way he brought about the fall was that he went to the lady, Eve, who was not called to lead and he tempted her to lead into the fall that we're in now. And so... Everything that comes after that, in fact, God gives a promise and a curse in Genesis 3. And he says, this is going to be a continual struggle for you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that the lady will desire to rule over, the wife will desire to rule over her husband. But there is a, a beauty in watching a, a woman conceive and carry a child for nine months and give birth. And after that, continue to nurse and to, to mother and cherish that child. And there's something mysterious that we can't explain, but we see in that whole process that the mothers were designed to have a unique connection with the children. And we don't want to make that a burden, brothers. We want to make that a joy. So I think for some of us, um, there, there may be some... Repentance that we need to do Um, And Just some examination Just to ask the Lord Maybe ways that we can In our own lives Do a better job of coming alongside our wives But this is a privilege And and there's a subject That gets spoken about in this regard Very often it's called The quality of life So I want to leave you with this question Before I move off Do you think in God's original design of Adam and Eve. Do you think that they had quality of life in their original state of existence? Do you think they had fulfillment? Absolutely. For us to say anything else would be to deny the goodness of God's creation. But in the heart of Satan's temptation was to get Adam and Eve to think there's something lacking. In our current existence there's something deficient unfulfilled as we are now to doubt God's Word and God's goodness and so this is a this is a battle of the mind for us and we need God's Word to continually renew our minds church to help us see things rightly in this crazy world that we're living in that men think they can become women and have sex changes and Women, children at at age eight can basically tell their parents what they want to be. We really need to read passages like this and ask God to help us. And what is the purpose in all of this? Look at the end of verse five. So that no one will malign the word of God. That's the ultimate purpose. The honor of our Lord in ordering our lives in such a way that shows his truth similarly verse 6 encourage young men to be self-controlled in everything set them an example by doing what is good so you see that Titus and the, the, the elders he'll ordain have this responsibility of setting an example and teaching in a way that is accord accords with that example so there's sound truth and there's sound living and, and your thinking leads to your living. That's something that you see throughout this letter as well. Now, I want to jump down to verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Now, I want to dispel perhaps an idea that you've heard. Christianity, true Christianity, has never tried to teach that slavery is a good thing in and of itself. Neither has the nation of Israel tried to teach that. When the nation of Israel and when the church came into existence, they lived in a world that had slavery already existing. Slaves have existed for a long time. The slave trade was not created by God's people in any age and God's people have always been the minority in the human race you know that the people of God have never been the majority in the in terms of the global population we have always been the minority and we have existed in a world that slavery of different forms has existed So what Paul is saying here, in fact, he tells us through the letter of Philemon, the next letter, that if it's possible, slaves should try to get their freedom, right? He doesn't say to start a revolution, but he says you should fight to get your freedom. Paul's main concern here, and those of us who are listening, are not slaves. I feel pretty confident that I could say that. 99% of those who listen to this message are not slaves, so we could apply this to our jobs. His point is this. Slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. He's trying to say, please your bosses. It's not a a matter of whether slavery is right or not. It is what kind of worker are you going to be? The ultimate question in your job is not whether your boss is a good boss. The ultimate question is will you seek help from a good God to be a good worker? That's the point of these verses. And to not steal. And to and to show that they're working well. And to not talk back to them. Alright, now come. let's come to the end of verse 10. And show the one who embodies all of this for us. Why is it that that Paul is saying, this is how we should live. Verse 10 says this, so that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And then he connects it to this next verse, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's referring to Christ, the incarnation, Christ becoming flesh, the one who dwelt in glory, in unapproachable light, taking on human form to be a servant, to be like a slave for the purpose of achieving our salvation. We, we, we looked at a verse uh, this Wednesday, gone, from 2 Corinthians 5.21, which I'll end with. But just, just look at verse 11 again. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Salvation in Christ has been made known and through preaching and teaching and writing is being made known to this day. And what does it do? Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So we see right there in those two verses, we see salvation in terms of dealing with the penalty of sin. This is a reference to to Christ appearing and living a sinless life and then being crucified on behalf of our sins, paying the penalty of our sins so that we can be made right with God. But what does it do? True salvation gives us not just forgiveness, but power. Power to say no. Power to live godly lives. And verse 13 shows us another way that we receive power. In a sense, you could say this is talking about two comings of Christ. The power of the first coming of Christ and what He's accomplished. And verse 13 shows us about the second coming. And as we keep our minds thinking about that it trains us to live a certain way too while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good we see the The first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And we have to be people as Christians who look back to what Christ accomplished through his life and death and resurrection. And who look forward to that unknown time when he cracks the sky as we sung at the funeral yesterday. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. It is well with my soul. The sky will be rolled back like a scroll and no eye has seen or ear heard or mind can imagine that glorious day. And you see what he says about about Jesus here? He's our great God and Savior. This is showing us again that Christ is God incarnate. God the Son. And He became flesh as we're about to represent in the Lord's Supper. He became flesh so that he could die for us who are flesh. He became human, but unlike us, unlike the first Adam, Jesus lived a life with complete resistance to sin. Unlike Adam who had one sin coming at him, Jesus had millions of temptations by comparison. But he maintained his holiness, his godliness, for the purpose of being able to sacrifice himself on that cross as an acceptable offering to God. So that we would be seen as acceptable who look to him in faith. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I think this verse captures this well for us. There's many verses in the Bible or small portions of the Bible that capture the work of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 does this with a unique focus on what was taking place on Calvary's cross. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us to be treated as if, in other words, he had sinned. Not just that he had sinned. But that he had committed all our sins. All the sins of any who looked to him. God punished him like that. So that. In him. We might become. The righteousness of God. Because no one is righteous. No not one. But when we look to Christ. Righteousness is our, is our status. Before God. And, and in the same way that righteousness of God is our status, we have access by faith, day by day, to gradually live more righteously. Grace-based godliness. This is what God is calling us to, and this is what we see as men and as women, older and younger, and workers, God calls us to seek whatever station in life we're in, to seek his wisdom from his word on how we are to live, to honor this great gospel that Jesus has brought to us. His very own life and death and resurrection. Is God not gracious? Christ not only did that and not only is he coming back but all the time Every moment now, he continues at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us, to pray for us, to plead that the Holy Spirit would do these things in us, us who look to him. As we continue to prepare our hearts, let us close in prayer, and then I'll invite the elders to come to the front. Heavenly Father, There's so much.